0: Would you open God's precious holy word to 2 Kings 4? I didn't put it, I'm pretty sure it's chapter 4. It starts out something like Now a certain woman. Is that right, chapter 4? Yes. Okay, thank you. (laughs) That's the eighth mistake I've made this year. The northern kingdom are part of the covenant that God made with Abraham, the Israelites. He made the covenant with Isaac, with Jacob, who became Israel. They are in the throes of wickedness. It started out with Jeroboam, their first king. You may remember how... All of the most of the kings that are listed after Jeroboam have this uh, stigma that follows after their name. He didn't depart from all the sins of Jeroboam who led Israel to sin. <clears throat> so we're several generations now into the existence of the northern kingdom. They are Immersed in wickedness and in idolatry. The worship of Baal. God sends them prophets. There was, of course, Elijah. He's gone. And Elisha has taken his place. And the story of God's dealing with Israel in the time of Elisha is told in the process of 17 miracles that Elisha performed in the power of God. We've seen four of them. I think the important thing is to note how different the backgrounds are, the settings are of these uh, miracles. (laughs) And... um, how God is speaking to the entire nation from the king all the way down to the least of the servants. Now the fourth miracle we saw last time was uh, the miracle of of ditches, of the the miracle water, I guess you'd say, that appeared in a desert when three kings were going to fight together against the king of Moab and... The report was: we're in a desert area. There's no way for our horses, our animals to be watered, and we don't have water for the soldiers, and and we're in a mess. And Jehoshaphat wanted a prophet to tell him what to do. He wanted to appeal to God. So he told uh, he told the king of Israel, the northern king, he said, "Elisha is a good man. He's a man of the word, prophet of God." And so Elisha brought them the news that it was okay to progress, but he also made them understand that he was only going to speak with Jehoshaphat because God's favor rested on Jehoshaphat. And it just so happened that that favor of God would sort of fall off the table to the other guys that were there, the other kings. But the greater point is this. This was a great miracle of of, uh, victory in war. History, they say, you know, hinges on these battles, these, these wars that are fought. Well, of course, God is sovereign. And the southern kingdom of Judah carries the promise of Christ. The northern kingdom of Israel are God's people, albeit in the uh, throes of uh, sin and wickedness. Moab is a natural enemy of both Israel and Judah because of the history and the way that, that Moab came into existence. And so God gave the message to the prophet. The prophet gave a good message. There was a miracle of water that, that came, the ditches, and then they had water, they could go, they won their war. And the enemy of God's people was defeated. The hero behind the whole thing is Yahweh. In an earthly sense, the hero should have been Yahweh's man, the prophet, Elisha. But as a servant of God, obviously he accepted, they may not have even offered it, I don't know. But he accepted no accolades and no particular office or elevation in position. He's a servant of Yahweh. As a matter of fact, anything like that, even from an earthly king, would have been regression, a step down or more than one step down for a prophet. But the interesting thing also is that we move right from that fourth prophet, which had to do with kings and armies and a battlefield and a tremendous miracle of, of water that uh, that Yahweh provided so that uh, his people could be nourished, his, the soldiers and the the, the armies and When they saw that water, the enemies, the Moabites, thought it was fire. And because of the way the sun reflected on it, it looked red. And they got all scared in their hearts. Well, the great power of God, the great announcement of the prophet benefited three nations. Uh, uh, Two of them were Israel and Judah. Judah. And brought about brought about the decline, the defeat of Moab. So this is a this is a historical event of great proportions. But now the prophet, who humbly responded to the request of Jehoshaphat, now is back to his life, reserved, away from uh, the spotlight listening to God, ministering in the name of God, probably teaching this school of the prophets, uh, the prophets of God in his day who were still afraid because of the threats of the, uh, the throne. Even though Ahab and Jezebel are dead, Ahab's son now is on the throne and he's not friendly to Yahweh. He's not friendly to the prophets They still are in the sin of idolatry with regard to Baal. So the story just takes us into a completely new direction or into another direction. And we move from the prophet calling down a miracle provided by God for kings and armies Now to be in the presence of a lowly, humble, widow woman. The message of God is speaking to the northern kingdom. You see, someday, all of those people from all of those generations in the northern kingdom, they'll stand in judgment. They were not without a prophet. They were not without a message. And that message was supported by miracles. Worked through the Hands of the servant of God, Elisha. So there could be no denial that the power of God was there. And the grace of God was there. The particular grace of God. The particular grace of God that is found in redemption. My redemption, I cannot speak for anyone but myself. My redemption is particular. It isn't part of some sort of generalized, maybe so or maybe not redemption. It is a particular thing. The particular grace of God for me. There's no more beautiful story about that than the one we're going to see here in this chapter. The fifth miracle of Elisha. The pot of oil. Now, let's look at the balance and the beneficiary of this this, uh, miracle. The balance is that not only had God provided a miracle for kings and armies, but he provides a miracle for this widow woman. Now, in that culture, she was utterly helpless. Her husband is dead. But her husband was somewhat of a helpless man because he had been one of those prophets that Elisha and and Elijah earlier had been instructing. So look at this. Now a woman of the wives of the disciples of the prophets cried out to Elisha saying, your servant my husband has died and you know that your servant did fear Yahweh and the creditor has come to take my two children, my two sons, For himself as slaves. That's the way it worked in those days. This disciple of the prophets had died. On the best of days. He didn't have that many friends. And he was in a business as we're going to see. He had a business that he was engaged in. But his business Perhaps because of weather or drought or whatever, his business had failed. Having fallen into some kind of hard times, he called upon a creditor to lend him money, and the creditor lent him money, and now the disciple of the prophets, this woman's husband, is dead. She's not the one who was running the business. She was the mother of two sons and the wife of a disciple of the prophets. A man who in more times than not was an outcast. Because the people were enjoying worship of Baal so much. And they had in in many ways rejected Yahweh. And the worship of Yahweh. They were separated by quite some distance from the temple in Jerusalem, which is where the true worship of Yahweh would occur. That's where the presence of Yahweh was, and sacrifices and offerings would be made there. So this poor guy died. Apparently, not knowing he was going to die, but he died and left his wife with a great debt. There was nothing there to repay the debt in their household. All she had was two sons. And the law of the day was that this creditor had every right to take those two sons into bondage for payment of the debt. And this widow would never see her sons again. They would fall as slaves into the service of a cruel creditor. She calls upon Elisha, the same prophet who responded to a king and called upon a tremendous miracle to help armies and kings, that same prophet is called upon that same Yahweh, the God of the prophet, whom the prophet serves, one of his servants, a disciple of the prophet's His widow, where's she going to go? There's nothing she can do. She has no resources at all. So here's what she does. She calls out to Elisha. My husband, your servant, he died. And you know he was a believer. He was a disciple of the prophets. He feared Yahweh. Even so, the creditors come. Come. I'm about to lose my two sons to the creditor. Now, the miracle was also in response to an urgent need. Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Now, in, 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 the, in the timber of the language, it seems as though Elisha was himself a humble man. He didn't have any riches or or some sort of treasure house to draw upon, He just says, what, what can I do? Then he says, tell me about you. What do you have in the house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing except a jug of oil. Now apparently, the husband was a businessman who sold oil, probably olive oil. And so he would have, out of his vineyard, out of, out of his crops of olive, he would have pressed the oil. And there's a process, and if you read about it, some of the oil can be bad, some of the olives can be bad. Maybe that's what's happened, what happened to him previously, They he had to borrow money. It doesn't always work out the way people think that it should. Maybe he didn't produce any good oil for a while. and They were just down to one jug of oil that was worthy enough to be placed on the market. She said, I don't have anything left but this jug of oil. So now her faith is put to the test. He said, borrow vessels for yourself. Now, I underline that because she has a personal need. God hears her prayer and personally responds to her personal need. There would have been other people probably in a bad time who could have used a miracle, but they're not the ones who had called upon Yahweh. They're not the ones who had presented themselves as helpless and and in a hopeless situation. What do you have? jug of oil, that's all you have. Borrow vessels for yourself from outside, from all your neighbors, and don't borrow a few. Borrow everything, borrow a bunch of them. Borrow as many vessels, as many jugs, as you can get from all of your neighbors. Now, here is the requirement and the means by which the miracle would be performed. When you've gathered all of these vessels, these jugs, these empty vessels, you shall come and close the door about yourself and about your sons, and you shall pour upon all of these vessels and the full one you shall carry. She used to take one jug of oil, the only thing that was there, and she was to start filling all of those other jugs out of this jug of oil. She kept pouring it and kept pouring it and kept pouring it and kept pouring it. She went away from him, closed the door behind herself, and about her sons. They were bringing vessels to her. And she was pouring out of that jug of oil that she had. And it was when the vessels were full that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. Her son said to her, ain't no more. We filled up the whole house and every vessel that everybody had, we filled it up. And the oil stopped. Now here's the significance came and told the man of God and he said okay you're back in business go sell the oil and pay your debt but here's how God has been so good to you not only do you have enough, <clears throat> enough to pay your debt but you have enough to live the rest of your life with. You have enough to raise your sons and then you'll still have enough to retire on. This is what God has done for you because you have come to him with nothing but your faith. And you have come to him in that faith falling upon nothing but his grace. Knowing that you had nothing And knowing that the creditor would crush you and take away your sons and you would have no life at all if the only thing left for you was the creditor. But in his grace, God has intervened for you and he has provided that for you, which you could not provide for yourself, but not just that. He went above and beyond that so that you could pay off your debt. But he has given you enough to live on now to raise your sons and to be comfortable for the rest of your life. God has taken care of you. Atonement and redemption Atonement is provided. Christ has provided our atonement. We receive the redemption. We've been redeemed. Now, the word in both Hebrew and Greek in both Testaments, it means the same thing. And it means to restore that which has been lost. In other words, it was there, It was lost and another had to pay the price to restore it. Thus, it was redeemed. Now, stay with me here. Beautiful story of grace. Redemption. To be restored. To gain that back by the payment of another. That which I had before and which was lost to me. Redemption. The object of redemption is a poor, pitiful widow who could do nothing for herself. A helpless person. Now, the next part of the story is the cruel creditor there was a debt to be paid to the creditor that's like the law that's like the commandments we owe something we can't pay and the creditor is coming to extract payment and it's going to take everything and we will have nothing the law will crush us and condemn us and kill us. And the unpaid debt will take us to hell. You see, it is not wrong to say this. The elect of God were chosen in Christ from before the foundation of the world that means before anything existed but when Adam sinned that which we had as the elect of God was lost and had to be restored Those whom God had chosen from before the foundation of the world collapsed in the same fall of Adam as the rest of the human race. But we have the Lamb of God slain from before the foundation of the world. We have atonement that is ours and it's peculiar and it's particular particular grace. Grace extended to those who are gods. Who gave his son that we might be restored, redeemed through the atonement of the only begotten. So then we could never For ourselves, in and of ourselves, pay the debt that fell upon us in the fall of Adam. There are no good works we could accomplish. There is no obedience that is ours, dead in trespass and sin. In that death, we could do nothing. But we're his. And he died to save us. So in that inability to pay. Our only hope. Was the grace of God. Knowing there's nothing that's good about us. Just that God. Saw us to be his. And we had to absolutely, totally, totally depend upon the grace of God. And there we found full payment and miraculous supply. Saved and saved forever. Past, present, future, eternally saved by the blood of the lamb. The grace of God. He paid it miraculously. I couldn't pay it. He paid it. I couldn't give that supply. He gave that supply. To put myself in that widow's position, how am I going to provide for my boys next year? God already covered it. What about when my boys are grown and they've left me? God's already covered it. The grace of God. Bought by the blood of the lamb. I am his forever. Into the ages of the ages of the ages. And I have totally relied upon nothing. But the grace of God. There's an old song that says. I am his. And he is mine. Forever. Finally. This was not a general redemption. You see this. I pointed that out to you. Elisha said, Go and do this for yourself. All these other people around lived next door, lived in the village, lived all over the place. This is you. This is God and you. His redemption is particular, it is particularly for you in Christ. Because you are the special object of God's love and grace who chose you in Christ. All that the Father gives to me will come to me. And all who come to me I will in no wise cast out. No, not never. I will no, not never cast him out. Christ said. This was not just a general thing. This was... Grace specifically for this woman who believed. That's what it was with me, it is with me and you in Christ. To know that we are the object of God's redemption, we are the personal object of God's grace, moves us into adoration, thanksgiving, gratitude, worship. Praise that God not only saved me, but He redeemed me, He keeps me saved, and I'm His forever, all by the peculiar, particular grace of God this story of this woman and this jar of oil a beautiful story that speaks of atonement redemption and particular grace going to stop there and we'll have our deacon prayer time